We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are go. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van And boom! Welcome back to another audio adventure on Insight. I'm Chris Van Vliet, and we have with us one of my favorite guests ever back on the show. So glad Freddie Prince Jr. could join us in person for this interview. You may remember the last episode we did a little over a year ago. And if you listen to it, I think you'll agree with me that he is hands down one of the best storytellers on the face of the planet. I mean, he has you hanging on to every single word that he says. You'll know him from movies like She's All That, Down to You, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scooby-Doo, but he also spent a few years working as a producer and writer for WWE in 2008 and 2009. Then again, a second stint, 2010 through 2012. So he's a huge wrestling fan, has an amazing mind for the business. And the fact that he worked there gives him a very different take on everything. So it goes without saying that his podcast called Wrestling with Freddie is a must listen. So check it out when you're done with this episode. Also, check out his new movie on Netflix called Christmas with You. The perfect time of year to be watching a movie like that. Take a screenshot, let us know that you're listening to this episode, and tag us so we can repost it. He is at Real Freddie Prince. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. And man, let's do this thing. It's CBV and FPJ. Please welcome Freddie Prince Jr. This is just like looking in a mirror. Wow. An older mirror. A look, a look into your future. You know how many comments on our last interview? I heard many times people go, that just looks like an old you, instead of people saying, you look like a young Freddie. <laughs> but that is the internet. <laughs> it was like uh, the young version on one side and the older version on the other side? Yeah, they focused on the older side. I, 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 I mean, if I could look anything like the she's all that version of you, I'll take it. Brother, if I cared about that, you would have seen me color my hair a long time ago. I have not colored my hair ever. Um, and You colored it in this movie. Well, they made me. Mm. I tried to go gray, but there's not a studio executive in the world that'll allow someone to look like an actual human being. <laughs> so that's just the way it goes. And what, you can't just be like, hey, it works for Clooney. I mean, I guess I could say and be a pain in the ass about hair color, but I just feel like there's more important fights to fight on the creative side than, than you know, whether I'm, I'm a brunette. Uh, a, a gray old man or black hair. I don't know what color it was in the movie. It looked more black. But uh, yeah, it's just not something that I've ever 
cared about. I just love that we're doing this in person. So thank yeah. you for making the time to do this. Yeah, man. I, and I, I, Zoom sucks and so did the pandemic. And well, yeah. I guess it's not over for some people. It is over for others. We're not wearing masks though. And that feels nice. But you are the greatest storyteller of all time. <laughs> so I'm like, we need to do this in person so I can just like sit under the learning tree and just hear all your stories. I think I told you this last time, but my father's manager, Ron de Blasio, who's still with us today because he's never going to die. He's amazing. He'll live forever. He, uh, when I was 12 years old, he said, Freddie, storytellers cut no wood. And I didn't know what that meant at 12 years old. And he held up his hand and he, and he was a great storyteller, is a great storyteller. And he goes, there's not a callus on these hands. <laughs> and so as I got older and realized what that was, I was like, I got you. I don't want to be digging ditches. I'm going to tell stories for a living. So that's what I do. I just think with everything that you could do in your life, it's interesting the path you went down. Like you tell these amazing stories about being connected with like Muhammad Ali and yeah. Chuck Norris. You told those amazing Uncle stories Chuck, in the last man. episode. Yeah. Your father was a legendary comedian, so like that could have been a path that you went down. Never, though. I would never stand on the same stage as he did, ever. I didn't even like doing Saturday Night Live because it felt too close mm. to what he did. Um, but yeah, there was never going to be a day where I did stand-up comedy. I did get to hang out at the Improv. Rest in peace, Bud Friedman. We just lost. I'm losing everybody that was like a father figure to me when I was a kid. Lost Gene LaBelle this year. Lost my godfather, Bob Wall, this year. Bud just passed. Damn. My father opened that club, the, the, the improv on Melrose. And I was 12 years old and would hang out in there with spiral notebooks. And I would write down the comics jokes as fast as I could and then, and then rate how loud the audience reacted with <laughs> stars. And I've handed those journals to comics like as an adult. And they, it literally has blown their mind. They're like, I remember that joke. Holy shit. I don't, I don't want to curse, but like. Yeah, of course you can. If holy you want. shit. That's amazing. But, Three stars, what is that? I'm like, no, I laughed. It was the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> but for real, man, Bud used to, if I had to go to the bathroom, he would have to take me and he would clear out the bathroom because that's where like all the actors and comics and musicians would be doing cocaine and stuff. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, I got little Freddie coming in. And you'd, all these guys would be like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Let me get out of here. And then I could go take a leak. And so how was it acting? Like you could have been down all of these other paths. Like I feel like if you were born 10, 20 years later, you might have been a UFC fighter. I don't know if I would have been good enough. I don't, I don't know. I, I, first of all, I don't think my godfather would have let me. There's better ways to make a living. Just ask Matt Riddle. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I always wanted to make a good living and, 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 and make money and, and be successful in not just the career I chose, but in, in the ability to have what I want. We didn't have anything growing up like we got kicked out of two houses by the time I was a sophomore in high school because we couldn't afford it my dad was successful but for a very short period of time and when he died he didn't leave anything he didn't have a will so every my grandma came out and fought for her share and and kind of took a lot and my mom didn't have much you know she had to go job to job and I had to grow up with my grandparents for a good portion of time because we didn't have a house I had to grow up with my godparents who I mentioned Bob Wall who was one of the main influences on my life and my godmother, Lillian, who's still with us and just an amazing human being. So, uh, so yeah, I didn't want to be broke and UFC fighters don't make any money. So that wasn't, that wasn't going to be in my future. I think it was act or nothing, man. I really do. Wow. Who are you to most people? Like what's the role that most people uh, associate you with most? Most of my friends call me uncle Freddie or grandpa Freddie. <laughs> 
because they're jerks. Um, but I, you know, I care about my friends a lot. I try to, I'm definitely a giver, not a taker. Uh, I'm a father first, a husband second, and I guess a grandpa, uncle Freddie to all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and what about to your fans? Is Which role is it? To them? I don't, probably Fred Jones mm. or Kane and Jarris. Those are probably the main two. If you're a girl, probably She's All That or Fred Jones. I don't remember the character in She's All That. But I, I remember Fred Jones. I was a fan of Scooby-Doo when I was a kid. Um, so, yeah, I think to girls, She's All That or or, or Fred. And uh, to guys, Kanan or, or Fred. Summer right? Catch just meant so much. Summer Catch. There are like yeah. eight people that saw that movie. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> I grew up playing baseball. Yeah, I guess, yeah, ba baseballers watched it. Baseballers watched it. Uh, Jessica Biel fans watched it. But uh, but that is not one that I get hit with very often. I'm not like walking down the street and people go, "Yo, summer catch." It's usually <laughs> it's usually, "Hey, Scooby Doo." That's the that's the one. That, is yeah. it ever? I know what you did last summer. Yeah, that so well used to be. And then this director named James Wan created a little franchise called Saw, which turned my movies into freaking comedies. They weren't <laughs> scary anymore, so that's faded away. But horror evolves so much more quickly than any other type That's of film true. because yeah. these directors are constantly trying to outdo one another and well this was scary then so what can i make that's scary now and while they have inspirations they're constantly trying to update the genre and technology i feel like helps horror more than anything although my favorites are when they do more practical stuff than cgi sure, stuff yeah. as far as effects go but it's really helped the genre evolve and uh so yeah so that's expected oh how unprofessional and, the, and that's man the calling wife. you it's that's the <laughs> wife she has a special a special ring but oh, um wow. but yeah man so so yeah i, I that's always been my favorite st style of film horror i just have never found the right opportunity since the i know what you did movies and i had a i had a real bad experience on the first one and a real special experience like a great experience on the second one and i've been looking for a horror film ever since then but either the ones that came my way I didn't like or the ones I liked didn't come my way. But uh, I think I found something that I'm going to do this summer. So so another horror movie? Maybe? Another horror movie, yeah. Wow. Uh, with the same producer that did uh, this Netflix film I just did, Christmas With You. His name's Herman. I call him Miguel. That's his middle name uh, just because it's easier to say. But uh, he's, he found a script that I love, and he's made a ton of horror movies, and it'll be more like guerrilla warfare style, like low oh, budget, man. and that's kind of my favorite, get your hands dirty kind of movie. What was the bad experience you had on the first film? Well, yeah, it's been long enough. Nobody's going to get their feelings too hurt. Um, well, the director made certain that I knew I was not his choice for the film wow. <laughs> every single day. Um, the producers and, and the studio, I was, I was their choice. But he wanted, uh, he wanted a different actor. And every single day, man, it was just, he was just on my case. I, you know, if, if I left my mouth open, he'd say, you look stupid when your mouth's open. Close your mouth. And I'm just oh. like, dude, get off my case. And then there was like a stunt where they sent, to save money, sent the stunt crew home. And they wanted me to drive this dinghy with an outboard motor over the wake of this boat, right? And I'm sitting there going, did Freddie Heiss approve this? And he's like, Freddie Heiss was the stunt coordinator. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He did not, by the way. Freddie is an amazing stunt coordinator and always had all the actors back in that movie. He was great, not good, great. He did the sequel as well. And uh, hell of a horseback rider too. Um, he did like a bunch of Westerns and stuff. So any like horse stunts, like all yeah, those yeah. sick turns, he's a master. 
So anyway, we do the we do the rehearsal, and the boat is not safe to do this jump. And I fly out of the boat, and it goes right over my head, the outboard engine. And I can feel, I don't know how close it was, but it felt like it was a millimeter away. And I get out of the water, and I'm I'm pissed. And I'm like, where's Freddie Heiss? Where is he? Because I'm mad at Freddie. And the first AD, Lewis, he, I can't believe I remember his name. He was a good guy. Um, he goes, they, uh, he didn't want to say it. He's like, they, they sent him home. And I'm like, what? And the director comes up to me and he goes, you told me you knew how to drive a speedboat. And I'm like, yes, I do. That's not a speedboat. Yeah. It's a dinghy with an outboard motor. What are you, you're mad at me? You're mad at me? And he's like, well, we have to do it again. I'm like, I'm not doing that again. You're crazy. And I, every single day was just him letting me know that I wasn't good enough. And uh, it was my first movie, really. My first big movie. I'd done a little thing called Tajillion on her 37th birthday and a little movie called The House of Yes with Mark Waters, who was wonderful, and Michael Pressman, who was wonderful. But this was my first lead. And uh, he was on my case. And I remember Ryan coming up to me every day and just going, remember what booked you this movie. Screw this guy. Like, mm. trust your instincts. Don't do anything he says. Do what got you the role. And I'd always be like, yeah, but he's, he's like, don't listen to him. And Ryan had a lot of experience. You know, he came up in soaps, and he'd already been in the business a while. Sarah had been doing it since she was four. I'm sure Love had been doing it since she was four. I'd been doing it for a year, mm. one year. I had no experience. I was super green. And, and not in the cool Chris Tucker fifth element way, not like super green, like super green, no experience and not a lot of confidence. And so Ryan was like, and Sarah was super cool too, but, uh, obviously we, it worked out for us, but, um, but yeah, I remember Ryan just being like, remember what got you, you auditioned five times for this thing. All right. You know what to do. Everything's cool. I'm like, yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. And so that he was always real good to me on that movie. We didn't like remain close or anything like that, but I'm sure if we saw each other, it would always be all love but that's kind of those were the two p people that i mainly leaned on because a director was just a just hated me man and that's cool but you don't have to let me know every single yeah. day whereas danny cannon on the second one was like look mate i need another month and another 10 million dollars to make this great but they're not going to give it to me so here we go and i was like bro <laughs> guerrilla warfare let's do it like I'm, whatever you need i'll hold a light like i'll hold a boom what he was just so respectful and cool and and professional and I think in the modern era, especially through social media, we've, we've blended the words dignity and respect, right? And they mean the same thing. And I'm here to oh, tell yeah. you they do not. Mm. Um, dignity and professionalism should be offered to everyone. Respect should be earned on a case-by-case, person-to-person basis. You should be offered the opportunity to earn respect. But if you're just expecting it out the gate, you've just been brainwashed by ESPN highlights and athletes going, I'm going to take my respect, you can't, like you have to earn it. And that's yeah. why no one respects you. Um, so Danny gave me that opportunity to earn his respect. And during rehearsals, I felt like I really did, mainly because he said so. I was like, I'm gonna really lean on you through this and we're gonna be in this together. And I was like, brother, I love that more than anything. And I didn't even tell him how horrible the first experience was because <laughs> I just felt some, so much positivity from that dude. And he was, he was a tough director, but, it, but he didn't, expect anything from you that he wouldn't expect from himself and that i'm fine with that like as long as i see you walking the walk then you can talk whatever whatever you want yeah. and i'll and i'll be there for you i'll run through a wall a, a drywall but uh <laughs> but yeah man i was i was very grateful for that second experience because i was so soured by the first one 
And uh, I've been looking for a horror movie ever since. We're really man. burying the lead that you almost died on the first. Like, <laughs> I don't that, know if I would have. If that outboard hit you in the head. Yeah, but you I don't, wouldn't be sitting here it, right now. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, I can laugh about it now. At the time, I was, you know, obviously and rightfully so pissed off. Think of the irony of dying on the set of a horror movie. Yeah, that would be very Phantom of the Opera cursed type. <laughs> type be, yeah. yeah, there might not have been a sequel. You never know. I mean, there's been reboots of everything. Why not a reboot of I Know What You Did Last Summer? I feel like they tried, didn't they? Like 10, 15 years ago, I feel like they made another one with a new cast. I just, I don't like, know how it was received. But like a, Scream has done five now. Yeah, but Nev didn't do that. They didn't want to take care of Nev, so she said mm. peace, rightfully yeah. so. You know, it was why I didn't do the, the she's all that thing. The, Miramax made it clear they didn't care. So I was like, well, if you don't care, I don't care. Is it that the studios Bye. just think like, oh, it's a new generation. They won't remember that. No, I just think things have changed so much and I believe me, I'm the first one that understands it's show business and I know which word's bigger. But once we allowed analytics into this universe, it changed the business in a very negative way, right? Like there's no room for analytics in art, none. The moment Prince said this, the moment you look through your art through the lenses of the fans, through the lenses of others, it's no longer yours mm. and it's no longer art. It's just commerce. It's just business. And that's what our business has become. I remember Peter Falk, who a lot of young people won't know this person. He was in all the old Cassavetes. A lot of you won't know who the Cassavetes are either, but you should. They're, they made great films. He used to talk about Charlie Chaplin and, and United Artists and the, the origin of that studio. And I remember one time he said to me, he said, a, a studio, I can't do a great Peter Falk anymore. <laughs> he goes, a studio should be nothing more than an ATM machine. They should just tell you when you're out of money. And at 20, 21, 22 years old, however old I was, I didn't have the experience to apply that, that philosophy. But as I got older, and now I've, I've seen everything this business can show you, I got where he was coming from. Because mm. most, execu most executives that I've worked with anyway have never physically produced a film. Their job is to say yes or no on who gets what job, who gets what position in, 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 in the movie. And nowadays, they have a lot of creative input and a lot of creative control. And I, I don't know if it's always understood how affect changing one scene can affect an entire movie. Sure. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The first draft of every script I've read has always been the best draft. Mm. That's the one that gets me to say yes. That's the one that gets a director to go, oh, my God, I can execute this on a crazy level, but once it goes through the 10 different people that it goes, or 20 different people that it goes through after the actors have said yes, you end up with a much different screenplay than that first draft. Now, maybe for some writers who are jaded and been in this business too long, they're not writing their best draft as the first draft because they're like, oh, they're just gonna change it anyway. That right. happens in television a lot. But in film, which is what I have more experience in, that first draft is the inspiration. That's the one that, like I said, got me to say yes. And then the one you're filming is so different and it's gone through so many hands and, and it, there's so many different fingerprints on it. So people can say, you know, it's an ego driven business and rightfully so, where people can say, you know, oh, that was my note and this was my thing that all of a sudden it becomes more about that than the original idea in the first place. The one that inspired the, the director, the DP, the actors, whoever's going to score your film, like all those things. So it, it's changed a lot. But I will say this. I personally believe this business is, what's the word, secular? 
moves in a circular. Is that yeah. circular? Whatever the word is. Cyclical? Cyclical. That's the, is word, the word we're looking for. Thank you. Cyclical. Yeah. It's early on a Monday. No, I'm just dumb, but I won't I won't forget <laughs> that. Um so yeah, cyclical. I like that. So I believe that it can come back to what it was. I'm not saying we're gonna go back to silent films, but I think there's there's gotta be a financier out there somewhere that doesn't want to have their ego and be like, oh, I can make a movie, but wants to empower artists yeah. to make movies again. And, and then maybe we can get back to that old school feeling where it, it really is, it's not about we're gonna make a movie for everyone. It's we're gonna make a movie that's inside here. And if you connect with it, that's great. And if you don't, that's great too. But you know it's from that person's heart. You know that writer wrote what they wanted to write. Yeah. And they weren't dick, like a lot of studios, dictate what they want to buy that year yeah. we want a movie like this it's like who cares what you want just wait a second this writer has 20 amazing scripts yeah. that 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 you didn't call for that you should just check out and maybe you'll click with one of them and it, and maybe this executive won't but that's okay you can still make it not all of you have to agree yeah so i hope that eventually it, it comes back around to that i don't know if it'll be in my lifetime but i hope it is because I, I i prefer that style of filmmaking I prefer letting artists make creative decisions. I prefer a director being in charge of the film they're directing and not have it, having it taken away and re-edited. And if they disagree, they get fired and, and replaced. I mean, what if a writer's original idea gets taken away from them because they disagree with the note? Oh, wait, that happens all the time. All the time. So I hope we can get back to something that just isn't publicly traded companies. But I don't, I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. You know, independent filmmaking can be that. It yeah. just is starting to go the studio route as well because they want to sell their company to a bigger studio and make their money back as sure. quickly as possible. You know, it's, and that's in any format. It's in video game streaming. It's look at what happened to G4. Their financiers weren't gamers. They were looking to invest in the gaming world and make money off of the backs of gamers. If they would have simply empowered their cast and empowered those people and said, hey, we might lose money for three years, four years, but we're going to believe in these people, not put our own input in there. And I have no vested interest in G4. I just wanted the show to do well. Sure. I wanted the channel to do well. I wasn't a part of it. I had no stock in it. I wasn't one of their gamers or streamer or anything. But when I saw that kind of fall apart and fell, I was like, well, of course, like you have to empower the creative people. And then that's what makes people connect and click. If they see an outside hand audiences aren't stupid like they used to be back in the day there's too much behind the scenes stuff they're too well educated on on how things go and if they see an an an, an outside influence they're gonna call bs and they're gonna call it so fast yeah. and i saw it happen with g4 i saw what what twitter was saying to him and all this stuff i was just like man these you gotta just let these people be and let them make their art that's why you hired them yeah. why do you think their their streamers had so many followers on twitch and on youtube because those people were doing their own thing. Yes. So let them do that. So that's that's kind of, am I sitting on a soapbox or a chair? <laughs> um, but yeah, man, that's 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 kind of how I feel about all that stuff. I don't even know how we got off on that. That's more of a side quest, I guess. But you is can this, tell where my heart's at. Is this part of the reason why you don't watch a lot of your own movies? No, I just don't want to see my big old dumb face on a giant screen on. or hear my Everybody stupid Everybody wants voice. to see it. Not everybody. Um, I don't want to hear my stupid voice. How many of your own movies have you seen? Three. Three? Three. She's All That? No. What? That, well, they, that I would have seen at the premiere, but they debuted it on the anniversary of my dad's death, and I 
was not having a good day that day. And I was the same age he was when he died. I was 22. Wow. So it was just like too much. And then I never, I never saw it after that. I saw the first, I know what you, no, I saw the second, I know what you did. Um, Danny's. And I saw this little movie I made called what they changed the name to Brooklyn rules, which was me, Jerry Ferrara, Scott Kahn and Mina Savari. And I love, I love that whole cast so much. And I saw it in a tiny little theater with my wife and I saw Christmas with you at the, <laughs> at the Netflix theater. Cause they made me go. Amy Garcia just doesn't take no for it. She's like, you've never seen your, well, you're going to see this. <laughs> I was like, all right, I promise I'll come. So Rachel was my, my wife was working in Georgia. I called Rachel Lee. I said, will you be my safe date at the premiere? She was like, oh my God, I'd love to. And she was kind enough to come and, and hold my hand so I wouldn't run out of the theater. And I sat and watched my big, stupid face on a big, stupid screen. And I didn't, I didn't run out of the theater. So it was, a, it was a win. Seeing you and Rachel Lee Cook back together on the red carpet was like, wow. <laughs> I, I was We've like, been friends this whole time. I was man. like 17 when you know, that movie came yeah, out. Yeah, it was perfect 16 for you. 16 maybe, I don't know. Perfect for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's, I, I, you mean a lot to people. I, I've said this recently, said this a lot. Nostalgia is the most pow powerful drug in the world. I appreciate that. And I feel like you are like a purveyor of nostalgia. Like when someone sees you in something, like you linked to something in my late '90s, my early 2000s. Yeah, that's kind of what made it impossible to have regret, as I think a lot of artists do. If something doesn't do well, or if they have a bad experience. The response that I've gotten from people and social media made this possible. So here's one good thing that it's done. Um, the love that I've gotten from people on, on things that I, that I felt however I felt about, rightfully or wrongfully so, really changed my perspective on, on everything and, and, and made me okay with so many things that I thought were wrong with movies A, B, C, and D. And it was all, you know, like people going, oh my God, I love, like I've heard so much love from scooby-doo and and the first movie it's always the first one was was tricky warner brothers is a can be a difficult place to work at um they don't always treat you the way you treat them i think is the 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 nicest way i can say <laughs> it but uh but yeah man it really kind of affected the way i i viewed those films just based on the business side of, of things and some of the stuff that they tried to pull and, and do that with, with Summer Catch too. It was always with Warner Brothers. It's the only studio that I've ever had a bad experience with. Mm. And it was on all three films. But, um, but yeah, man, the love for, that people have, have shared with that really just said, you know, I was like, dude, let all that crap go. My godfather used to say, you're in control of two things in this world. Your actions and your reactions to the actions of others. Mm. And that's it. And then he said, and anybody else telling you different is full of shit because he was a very hardcore sociopath. <laughs> so not everything he said was right, but he was right about that first part. Yeah. And, and it really helped change my perspective and let me let go and forgive uh, those who needed to be forgiven, even though they were lawyers. Um, <laughs> but you've been forgiven. Um, so yeah, man, I, I think that nostalgia thing is, has been more beneficial to me than it is to the people who felt good about those movies. Because yeah. I really was yeah. like, oh, wow, man, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad you watched it a thousand times. You owe your parents yeah. an apology for making them watch it with you the first 20 times. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm glad they loved you enough to do that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know we're going to spend a bunch of this interview talking about wrestling and WWE. and everything Yeah, I, you know world. I love wrestling, bro. Nostalgia is so powerful in the world of wrestling. So it's powerful. Because it used to be good. Oh, well, <laughs> it's not good anymore? I mean, I will say this. That AEW pay-per-view that just... Uh, full gear? Full gear was great. Not good. Great. So every once in a while, I think both, both teams get it right. Whether it's WWE under, under Hunter's control or AEW under Tony's, when they get it right, I love it, and it's great. And when they get it wrong, I feel the same way everyone else does. Yeah. Well, I also think that it's, uh, it's so tribal. Like, if you're a WWE fan... But so is everything. Oh, this so is, is worse than so ever, So is Star though. Wars. So is Lord of the Rings. So, so are video games. So are comics. Like, but, everything's But this comes tribal. down to, are you a wrestling fan? It's like, if you... I watch both. I don't Me too. I watch and everything. If, if you do, too bad for you. But if you, <laughs> tick, if you tick the box that says, yes, I am a wrestling fan, then it's okay to like all things. But people yeah. seem to be like, oh, you liked Full Gear? Well, that means you, then you don't like WWE. Well, they're allowed to say that. I mean, sure. and someone can press a heart button when they say it, and you're just both wrong. You know, it's just <laughs> that equation never enters the mind, right? Like yeah. there's multiple generations that have been convinced that if someone presses that like button, the opinion is right. And unfortunately, a thousand people can press it. It just means a thousand and one people were wrong. That's all it means. Opinions are wrong all the time. I think the, the insecure personality or the beta personality, when it sees that confirmation, loves it, right? Like mm -hmm. Sally Field, when she wins an Academy Award, you like me. You really like me. Yeah. Like, girl, you were, you were sick before the award. Like, we loved you before that. That's why you won it. Like, you didn't know? You know what I'm saying? So a lot of artists fall into that category, and a lot of modern-day athletes fall into that that category as well. You can kind of see how susceptible they are to compliments and criticism. And then there's the alpha personality, which has been morphed through social media, which is people who have already decided how they feel about whatever it is you're complimenting or criticizing them on. Like Kobe Bryant, you're the best. Yeah, thanks. You suck, you're never Jordan. Yeah, whatever. Like he didn't care. Yeah. And then the omega personality, which is me, unfortunately, just wants to know the motive behind the compliment or the criticism. You're like, a true artist. If you're complimenting me in my head, it's just like, he's got a script he wants me to read. And then sure enough, five minutes in, they're like, and by the way, I have this idea. And my uh, brain's like, told you, Freddie. I told you. You should have just walked away. You know what I mean? You and, did walk away. Or, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, Freddie, you sucked you back in. And that, when they say that, I'm like, man, that guy's girlfriend must have drug him to so many romantic comedies. <laughs> and all he wanted was a car chase. And I couldn't give it to you, brother. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I feel like, you know, with pro wrestling where it's either you love this company or you hate this company, I feel like people can feel the same about you. Like guys either love you or they <laughs> probably hate you. Yeah, it's a, probably 50-50. I don't know. But you're it's, a lot... 
By the way, if you hate me, that's okay. You know, How could you you're hate allowed Freddie to. Prince Jr. Come I, on. I, you know, I don't mind either way. So it's it it's all good. I can't. Another bit of advice my godfather gave me was was don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't seek advice from. So social media. CM Punk tweeted that not long ago. Well, maybe he, I'm sure he stole it from the great Bob Wall. Probably. Did. Um, but yeah. So I I've always it's been hard for compliments and criticism to from strangers to affect me. Like if, if Seth Green was like, dude, your work in this wasn't where it needs to be, I would take a step back and be like, crap, what scenes? Like sure. what, what didn't you like? You know what I mean? Thank, and thanks Seth for never saying that. But, uh, but that's somebody whose opinion I've known since I was 19 years old. You know what I mean? Like he was the first actor to come up to me and like try to be friends on, on set. I was eating lunch alone every day on the set of Tajillion on her 37th birthday, which was a Michelle Pfeiffer, Claire Danes movie. And Seth wasn't having it. He just came and I had a, a, a Walkman on. I was listening to a CD and he was like, hey man, what are you listening to? And I was like, uh, it's old, it's Frank Sinatra. And he's like, I love Frank Sinatra, even though he'd never probably heard a Frank Sinatra yeah. song. He's like, let's eat lunch together. And I just couldn't say no, because he was so positive and nice. Oh, and wow. And so, yeah, we've been friends for, however many almost 20 years or even more i don't know i'm bad at math too i heard a great story about how you got an audition for a film just by showing up and being like yeah, yeah i'm here and they called someone else's name and you were like yeah that's me yeah i've lied a lot i lied a lot man i i have no issues with that there would be it was the house of yes and it was ryan Philippi is who i was um <laughs> and if he would have looked like parker he would have got it probably anyway um but i looked more like parker posey than he did but yeah, I showed up and I just waited. I would always wait for a name to get called. And if that actor didn't show, I'd go, that was, that's me. Where was Ryan Phillippe that day? I don't know. He's probably auditioning for another movie and, and, yeah. and, and booking something else. But they called his name twice, uh, I think three times. And I went, oh, sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear you. I, I was just going over my lines. And I went in. It was Mary Vernue. It was the casting director. And Mark Waters, the director, he did Mean Girls. And he directed me a second time in, it was the Monica Potter movie. I don't remember the name. The one with all the supermodels. And, uh, and the Great Dane. The other Great Dane. Because um, you haven't seen any of these movies. No. Well, no. Yeah. And I don't read the title page. Like, Down to you? Get, I don't think so. We shot that one in New York. And this one we shot in Vancouver. So I don't remember. Okay. But it doesn't matter. So anyway, I go in. And uh, I, read, I read the scenes. And the director, Mark, he goes, that was, that was, really, that was really good. But uh, you're not Ryan Phillippe. And I just like check my laces, right? Like I'm just staring at my shoes in shame. And I go, I go, no, I just, I, I really felt a connection to this. And I just wanted to show you what I could do, man. I'm really sorry. And Mary Vernou's like staring daggers at me, right? Like I will never cast you in anything. Although she did. She was, she was really nice. I think mm. she was on, I know you did last summer. And uh, he goes, well, good job. Just the same. And I walked out of there like, crap, man, I'm dead. I'm so dead. And my manager called me like an hour later. He's like, yo, you just booked that movie. And I was like, what movie? He goes, I don't know. Because he, he didn't send me out. Yeah, yeah. He goes, it's a movie called The House of Yes. I was like, you're joking. Yeah. I, went I was like, oh my gosh, bro. It's like a young Anthony Perkins before he was in Psycho. Like, this is going to be so much fun. And he was like, okay, well, we're going to negotiate. And, and way to go. Don't do that again. I did it like 20 more times, by the way. Um, until I didn't have to anymore. But yeah, man, I was, I was look, you got to hustle and gr if you have a, a, a dream, that's one thing. When you have a vision, you are actively studying. You are actively pursuing it. A dream is what a third grader has. I want to be a race car driver. I want to be a quarterback. 
a vision is when you work at it every single day and you sacrifice fun and you sacrifice clubs and you sacrifice all that other stuff to get better at your craft. And I had to. I didn't go to film school. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't even know how. didn't even have, have the skill yet to execute any real stuff that existed inside me. I had to learn everything on the job. That's why, maybe that's the reason why I didn't watch my stuff because I was always felt like I was a better actor at the end of it than I was when I started it mm. and I never wanted to see myself make mistakes. Maybe, th maybe that's a reason why. Mm. But Parker Posey made me fall in love. I didn't even love acting until I made that movie, House of Yes. And I saw how passionate she was about every word in every single scene. And I, was, I just remember watching her. I think I was maybe 19 years old and just going, I, I got I to be that. I got mm. to get there. I got to be that. And I would just hound her nonstop and just ask her a million questions. And I know I probably drove her crazy, but she was such a wonderful. I remember, I know I didn't drive her crazy. She loved me because when I hosted SNL, she was dating Jimmy Fallon. And at the post party, all these like start, or ooh, can't say that word. All these girls that only want to hook up with you because you're famous were there. And one of them tried to sit next to me and she literally climbed over a table sat on that poor girl's lap and was like, get away from my little brother. Wow. And like made her, like Heisman her out of there. And she was like, Freddie, these girls are what mm -hmm, they are mm -hmm. and don't talk to any of them. And I was like, okay, thank you very much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe I didn't drive her crazy. Maybe she actually loved me. Where was it in your journey where you felt like you started to lose your passion? And, and you did step away for a while. Um, the second Scooby was the first time the business kind of let me down, although that's weird to say because that was my expectation not being met. I remember the first movie did great. It made three quarters of a billion dollars. Probably made more, obviously, since then. But at this point, when we were going to do the second one, that's what it had made. And the whole cast wanted a raise, except me. I, uh, I'm not trying to like brag and I won't get into numbers or anything like that, but I was, I was making more than them on the first one and more than what we were contracted to make on the second one. And I was happy with, with the number, right? And so my agent let them know, like, oh, we're not going to ask for a raise. Everything's cool. And I remember them calling my agent back and saying, well, we want to give the rest of the cast a raise. And we'd like Freddie to take a pay cut. Wow. And, low, and I was like, wait, so I'm giving them a raise? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. We made y'all three quarters of a billion dollars. You're telling me you can't afford to pay them what you're paying me? And for the record, they deserved to be paid what I was getting paid for the second one. And they're like, yeah, we would, we'd like you to take a pay cut. And I remember sitting there and being like, am I going to like actually consider that? No, like we have a contract. If you'd like to pay them what I'm making, do it. We made you guys a fortune. Yeah. And this was at a time where like, I remember like they were given like huge bonuses and gifts to other actors in movies. I think they gave everyone in the Lethal Weapon when they produced a new Range Rover. And they gave us, and I'm not joking, a box of Scooby snacks, <laughs> okay? It was a box of cookies. And I remember being like, oh, well, all right, I guess they didn't, they didn't dig us that much. Yeah. Cool. Like the cast of the X-Men all got a million dollar check when that came Damn. out. Damn, like, a lot of Scooby snacks. The whole cast was like, man, we're gonna get something sick and yeah. it was a box of Scooby snacks. So maybe that's where it started, but they hit me with that and I was like, nah, man, I'm not taking a pay cut. And then I'm not even joking. The next week in one of those like entertainment tabloids, they were talking about my salary and saying that I made like nothing on it. And I was like, 
hold up. Like now they're leaking fake stuff. Am mm. I going to be a, it, insert myself in a, in a tablet? No. And I remember my godfather said, you're in control of two things, your reactions and your reactions to the actions of others. And so I took a breath and kind of sat back and was like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do my job. It's clear that this studio doesn't respect me and, and they don't want to be in business with me. So it's easy for me to not want to do business with them. It's not like if I wanted to do business with them, they would say yes anyway, yeah. clearly. So I don't need to read their scripts. I don't need to, well, I, they sent a couple of scripts out of that, but I didn't read them. Um, so I won't, I won't do business there. And this is 20 years ago. And like I said, who, the people who needed to be forgiven have been forgiven and they probably don't even work there anymore. Some of them are probably dead. Um, so I don't have like ill will towards anybody anymore, but in my twenties, I sure as hell did. And, uh, I remember being like, well, maybe this isn't the right business for you. If, if you're not going to be treated with, with the respect that you've certainly earned. And I've always been professional with them. I was never late. I never caused problems on set. Yeah. I always, I always knew my shit or, or you said I can cuss. Yeah. I always knew my shit. I was always there for everyone. I never acted like the lead. I understood the dog was the lead and we're the supporting cast. Like I got all that. I did His all name is in the title. Yeah, I, yeah. Did, I did all the press they asked me to do, stuff that I normally wouldn't have even done. I was like, no, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm a yeah, team yeah. player. And uh, I remember just being treated so poorly or f at least feeling that way that I was like, maybe this isn't the business for me. And then I stayed away from them and found some other places where I enjoyed myself. And then the... The real reason I stepped away was when my kid was born. I was like, peace. I, I didn't have a dad growing up. Being a dad has always been number one to me. So, uh, so it was easy. Like, and maybe I had yeah. one foot out the door already. I, I don't think I did it in my head. I don't remember feeling that way. It was a while ago. Um, but once Charlotte was born, it was just like, I'm a dad. That's it. Peace. I didn't need to make some press announcement. I yeah, hate when yeah. actors do that. I'm like, if you're leaving, why announce it? <laughs> like, just go. Like, when yeah. you're done playing with a toy as a kid, you throw it away. You don't go, everyone, I'm finished playing with my Transformers. <laughs> like, that's never been a thing. Yeah. So I just, I became a dad. And I didn't even think about coming back until my daughter started taking an interest in, in the performing arts and acting and, 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 and dance. And both my wife and I decided to be more active in that so she yeah. she could kind of see how we deal with things because sarah and i deal with this business in very different ways very different ways she's much more savvy than i am and uh we wanted her to see that it's not all as elvis presley said fame and fortune you know there's there's a lot of grinding there's a lot of rejection a lot of 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 hero worship and both can be very detrimental to yeah. to anyone out there regardless of of an artist who's susceptible to it already and Sarah and I deal with both of those things differently. So it was an opportunity for my daughter to kind of see what she connected with and the stuff that she thought we looked stupid doing. And she could be like, I'm never doing that. Yeah. So, so we both decided to do that. Sarah's been kicking ass. I've been kicking ass. And yeah. our daughter's kind of gotten to be on both sets and, and seen the process and seen different budget levels and what it is. And not every trailer is a double pop out. Sometimes you're in a five banger you know what i mean and it's a closet it's smaller than a jail cell and she and that's important you know what i mean it's yeah. important for her to see you know what every aspect of this business is if it's something she wants to pursue when she's 18. so i'm about to wade into the world of fatherhood oh yeah. i just congratulations I, I recently found out yeah yeah you know, my fiance it's weird to say congratulations to a guy thank you though because because <laughs> all you did was yeah i made sex it happen. with your wife Come on. well you got you got late <laughs> So congrats on that part, but the rest is all on her. <laughs>
So I, yeah, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be a dad in May of next Congratulations, year. Congratulations, yeah, man! Thanks. Welcome. Um, I hope you get a daughter. They're easy as pie. We're gonna find out on Saturday. We're having oh a gender reveal gosh. party on Saturday. If you're um, around, you're welcome to come. Bring bring Sarah, sure. I think my son's actually, if it's Saturday, my son is in the playoffs in his football league. Wow, that sounds far so more important than we'll be finding at, out what we'll be at the gender playoffs, my baby is. Watching little Rocky do his thing out there. Go Rocky! But uh, boys are way different and much more difficult. Every tough guy I know had a daughter first, and I remember them all saying, like, you're so lucky. The daughter teaches you the way, and that mm. way you're more prepared when the sun comes. So if you have a son first, call me, dude. I'll let you know all the... <laughs> All the horrors that they're going to uh, bring to I'll, the table. I'll call you. Uh, I'll call you Saturday <laughs> afternoon after all the blue or pink smoke has cleared. Yeah, with with either joy in your heart or fear. I I don't think I'm excited either way. You'll see if it's a boy. You'll see. You'll learn quick that I don't know. They just look at you even when you're changing a diaper and they have no emotions yet. They just look at you like I'm gonna get you, you yeah. son of a bitch. <laughs> and you'll know. You'll see the look and be like, Did he just? Did he just give me the look I used to give my mom when wow. I was talking back? And your daughter will just be like, Daddy. That's what I'm most scared about is I know the kind of kid I was at <laughs> 12 and 14. Well, that's what you're going to get. Especially 16. That's what you're going to get. That's what I'm most scared about. <laughs> I've, oh, and that, I keep telling that to Rachel, my fiance. I'm yeah. like, I know what I was like, and I don't know how I'm going to raise a kid like that. My mom told me she was going to kill me I don't know how many times. <laughs> I don't, And I deserved it every time she said those words. And... uh yeah, she let me live, so I'm very grateful. I, I I should not be here based on the madness that I brought into that home. But she was a tolerant, patient woman. Still is. <laughs> she still has to deal Man. with it. Man, okay, we got to talk wrestling. So we kind of touched on full gear. What's your take on MJF now as the AEW champion? Oh, you want me to just blow smoke up his ass? That's what he needs, more yeah. smoke. Um, look, I've said this before. I do a little wrestling podcast called Wrestling with Freddie. Which is so good. Thanks. I appreciate that. So good. Um, and you've got some amazing guests on there when you do have, when it's Wrestling with Friends. Yeah, man. We're, I will also, be bringing like, some more on the second like half of this season. WWF, Wrestling yeah. with Freddie. Well, don't say it out loud. The pandas will come out. No, that's me. true. But, uh, but I've been saying this for a long time, man. I've gotten to know Maxwell over the last two years. Every time he comes to L.A., we make it a point to go to dinner, and I, I try to take him to, like, a different sushi spot every time, right? And this kid is 26 years old, so I can say kid. And he has the single most brilliant mind in the wrestling business. Every storyline that he's come up with, man, I shouldn't even say that. Well, I said, I, the, listen, the ideas in this kid's head, at getting multiple people over, just not just himself, but focusing on what's best for the business, not what's best for MJF, is second to none. And I'm not the most experienced and educated wrestling cat in the world, but I did work for the WWE, yeah. and I did ask a million questions to the Pat Pattersons of the world, to the Freebirds of the world, to the Arn Andersons, the Dean Malinkos, all these old school people. And everything they taught me this dude has in spades. Like it is unreal how his mind works. He does not go into business for himself. That's like such a cliche thing to say now, ever since that, that CM Punk explosion at AEW. Um, but for real, like that's the best way to say it. I love this kid. I texted him the night he won. Don't get mad at me for saying this. He wrote back, we did it. Not meaning he and I, meaning him and everyone, I go, yeah, yeah. and all I wrote back was, damn right, you did. 
because I wanted him to know, like, brother, this was you. And it's awesome that you're trying to get as many people as over as uh, as many people over as humanly possible. Yeah. But you did this like otherwise at 26, it does not happen. No. And so I just hate complimenting a heel. But uh, but man, he's just he's so great at it. I, I, I love this guy so much. He's so good for the business on both sides, like yeah. not even working for WWE. I feel he helps WWE as well. The fact that Tony allows him to talk about trips, Triple H and WWE, like that's it's so brilliant because he doesn't do it in a in a detrimental way. It's, well, he does it within the confines of his character. Too. Yes. Yes. That's so good. He's I think he's absolutely great. They have a handful of of really talented people there. But he consistently shines above damn near everyone in wrestling, not just AEW, but damn near everyone else in wrestling. Like there's there's some cats that that can hang with him, but I don't think they have as much free reign as he does. Yeah. And maybe if they did, they'd be able to accomplish yeah. the kind of promos and storylines that he's been able to accomplish. But with that caveat placed there, I still think he's the top dog. That promo he cut spur of the moment in front of the press after he won the title have you yeah. seen that yeah like just right off the top of his head and i hate post-wrestling scrums i think those shouldn't exist wow. like i don't think they're they're cool i think it's real weird like sometimes i think it's kind of goofy and every once in a while someone comes out there and you're like okay yeah all right i get why you're giving these guys an opportunity yeah. to talk because every yeah. once in a while you get something magic like that. The fact that that promo just came right out of the top of his head. It's so with, easy for with him. With no ums or ahs or ah. pauses. I've said um more times in this interview than he'll say in his entire career. <laughs> I was there in LA at that pipe bomb promo that he cut when he went you know, yeah, berserk yeah. and was just F this and F yeah. that and this and that. And I was sitting there like, I can't believe I got to be here for this. Yeah. Like, this is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm not a big proponent of... of cursing to make the promo cooler right that's what the attitude era was like oh he said son of a bitch yeah, yeah. like, and like yeah, yeah. he could have said it without that and and still been good show me you can get over without cursing and then i'll be like dang <laughs> you know what i mean but with 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 max it doesn't matter he can make you cry and with, like when he did with that cm punk story when he was talking about making the football team and yeah. starting defense and here comes the the defensive line the whole defensive unit while he's walking down the hall to his locker and he's finally going to be accepted. And instead of giving him love, they threw quarters on the floor and said, pick him up, Jew boy. And the whole crowd that hated him, suddenly you saw them when they made the cut and you saw people feel ashamed of themselves. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Sarah, Sarah, get in here. You got, and when it's special, I make her watch. And I'm like, look at this kid. This kid is he's acting. He's an ally. You could put this in a movie yeah. and it would move you and there'd be a soundtrack behind it. And I'm sitting there looking at him just like, how, how is he doing this? And then I think he just, at the end of it, just kicks CM Punk in the nuts just to, just to let you know, like, no, you were right to hate me. I just wanted to make you feel like shit for a minute. And because I can, for no other reason than I can. And he told such a beautiful story over those few weeks that they had that storyline. I could have watched that go on another two, three fights, to be honest yeah. with you. Cause he just, but he knew the perfect amount of time it should be and he, yeah. and he pulled it off and he wasn't the one that, that came out on top at the end of it. And it, that was just, that's where you see like the selfishness and the selflessness all at the same time. It's like Bruce Lee out there, man, mm. unnatural naturalness. 
or natural unnaturalness. Like that's what he's doing. It's, it's crazy. I know I'm speaking about him like he's a poet or Picasso, but that's what he is. Don't forget in that pay-per-view, that was his blood, sweat, and tears on an actual canvas mm. painting a picture for everyone to see with John Moxley, who's I call the werewolf because that's what he looks like, wrestles like, sounds like. He's just a werewolf out there. Um, so yeah, man, he, he is a Picasso out there. And, and the good thing is he's being appreciated within his lifetime instead of long after he's gone. Do you think that maybe he'd have a place in this new wrestling federation of yours? Mine's too weird for someone like him. It, it, Mine is much different. And I haven't been completely honest with everyone about what it is because I don't want it getting out there. Um, but he's so different than, than, than what I'm going to do. It would, it would make, he would look out of place. Mm. And it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the right thing for him. Although he's read the script. I've pitched the entire thing to him. He's given me notes because I value that young generation's opinion. I don't want to do stuff that's too old man-ish. And he's been, like, he's straightforward. He's like, only old guys are going to connect to that. I think you focus more on this. And I'm looking at it like, ah, damn, he's dead on, mm. dead on. And I've, I've applied those notes. So, so yeah. It, How different could it be? It's like, different. I feel like everything has been done in wrestling. Everything has been done in wrestling, but the way this will be done is very different than anyone has, has seen this type of, of, of art form come to pass. That or I failed miserably. When, when would we see this? Uh, that I can't say, but I've made much quicker progress than I originally anticipated. I gave myself a year and a half to kind of get things going. And I think I'll be going before that deadline long, well before that deadline. Cause I think when you first announced it, people went, Oh, it's another competitor to WWE and a, I accidentally announced, I like Ariel, Ariel and I are, are, are friends. Um, and I just kind of was saying it casually and didn't realize like, Oh crap, that's going to hit everybody hard. Yeah. Um so when I tried to explain it more, I I just kind of said, "Oh yeah, it'll be it'll be this, it'll be that" cuz I don't want people to know. You know, I I still believe in surprises. I still I don't like all the behind the scenes stuff, you know. There there should be magic left in it. Otherwise, everyone feels like they can do it and everyone can't. I don't like all the behind the scenes stuff in movies. I don't like the mass magician. Screw that guy, Val Valentine or whatever his name is. Vince made me produce a damn segment with him when the show, when SmackDown was on the UPN and, and so was his show. And, I, and he did it just to rib me. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I hate that son of a bitch. He goes, ah, 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 and just laugh. I'm like, son of a bitch. And I had to go and produce that schlock. So I wanted all his tricks to fail. Screw that guy, man. No, all those YouTube videos. Here's how so-and-so did this. Screw that video, man. Like you're taking away someone's livelihood when you do that. You know what I mean? Just so that you can make a couple bucks. That seems dirty and shady to me. Everyone's got a hustle. I know that, but I don't have to respect everybody's mm. hustle. So yeah, man, I'm not, I'm not about that. So it's, it's going to be different and, and people see it and then they can judge for themselves. They can, they can click with it and love it, or they can not click with it and hate it. And, and you're both right. I, however you feel about art, you're correct. Cause it's art. It's never going to be viewed the, the way three plus three is viewed because it's not it's six. not science I, i'm pretty sure it's yeah, yeah, six. I think it's six yeah um five or six yeah but uh but yeah man so i i'm not as much concerned with that as much as i am i want to execute this the right way and i want it to be my vision not anybody else's vision and the 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 proof will be in the pudding man well i'm excited whenever this happens to everybody me. likes pudding oh i love pudding yeah
Knowing what you know about the world of wrestling, what do you think's next for CM Punk? I don't know. I don't know if he wrestles again. I don't, I mean, his body wasn't able to hold up. You know, he was getting hurt a lot, as we all do when we get older. His patience wasn't able to hold up in dealing with a younger generation. I mean, look, for millennials and Gen Z, my generation and up, it's not an illusion. They hate you because they don't want to understand you. I, I don't. Like, the things that, that my generation and older say about them are the same things my mom's generation said about me. You're sure. softer, you don't work as hard, all this. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You made it easier for me to live. So thank you to your generation. But now we have a remote control and I don't have to get up and change the channel because you're old and arthritic and can't do it anymore. I get that they hate the fact that kids can make millions on YouTube or Twitch and they don't have a boss telling them they suck every day. But here's the flip side to that. Yeah, they may not have a boss, but they have dozens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people that not only say they suck, but demand to have say in what they do. Mm. That's what the life of a streamer is. I've seen people sacrifice their dignity and their soul. I'll put on a banana suit if I get 50 followers today. You can't take that back, you know what I mean? If you start living by people who are giving you $5 a month and all of a sudden you want some of that dignity back, so goes their $5 too. So they have to deal with much different pressures than these older generations had to deal with. Yeah, I had a director who, who was on my case every day on I Know What You Did Last Summer. Every single day. It sucked. That's one son of a bitch. All right? That's one guy. The, the streamers out there, YouTubers, all these. It's, it's everyone in the world that has access to the internet yeah. can say horrible things about you. And these are young kids that are not prepared for that type of fame. That's why I took my channel off Twitch. Because they don't care. They don't care about these young kids. They don't put any measures in to protect them until four or five years later after, you know, these kids have been complaining and begging and asking for it. And it's not like once they were bought by Amazon, they couldn't afford to put measures in place. Right. They simply chose not to because it wasn't cost effective. Yeah. So screw Twitch. Screw, all, screw those companies, man. I hope all of you go to YouTube or somewhere else where, where you're in control and you're not having to pay for their service in order for you to get paid. Like, there, I got love for y'all. I really, I really do. And I understand the pressures that they have to go through. I've seen it affect so many young people. I've seen that's the first person that called me Uncle Freddie, or, or I think it was, she said, he's my Twitch uncle, was this girl I found randomly on stream. And I was reading the comments and I was just like, oh my God, is this what streamers have to go through? Wow. And for a female streamer, it's different, right? Because these guys were letting her know exactly why they were watching her. And, and saying shit that you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like Michelle Pfeiffer never had to hear that in, in, her, in her Catwoman suit looking fine as hell. Like yeah. she didn't have to hear just nonstop. And there's no accountability and there's no one there to smack them and be like, yo, show some respect because it's all digital. Yeah. And they're just enduring that at an age where you're not equipped to deal with that yet. And I just remember going like, this is a bad, bad place. And so I, I get it and I have a lot of empathy sympathy is I would have gone through it and I haven't. So I empathize with what they have to go through and I respect the ones that are able to, to come out on the other side and, and still have their dignity intact because it's, it's soul selling and soul stealing. And those are hard things to deal with in your early twenties. So it's, I don't know how CM Punk moves forward. He's, he's of that older generation. 
He was also away from it for so long. Yeah, but so was I. And I was able to go back to a movie and do my thing. It's wrestling is a is a physical taxing demand. It is a demand. You're like I said, it's blood, sweat, and tears. It's torn tendons. It's broken bones. When Brad Pitt dislocated his shoulder in seven, they put it in the story, and the rest of the movie, he's in a sling. Like he it's not, it's not the same kind of storytelling. So I don't know where he goes from here. I don't know if he wrestles again. I don't know if he needs to wrestle again. Well, he, never in his needed, heart, he never needed to wrestle again. I think in his heart he did. Mm. Not financially. I'm sure he was fine. But in his heart he needed to or he wouldn't have come back. There were stories he wanted to tell. The MJF story that he, that he told was the best wrestling story I've seen in 20 years. So he still had a contribution he could make. But if you can't get along with your coworkers at all. Yeah. And you resent the younger generation for everything they are and everything they believe in. I don't know where you fit in in modern wrestling. And then you, I just don't know. And then you air your dirty laundry. I think that's the part that makes it really hard to go back. Yeah, to that's, AEW. and that's what I was saying. Like em- emotionally, he wasn't able to 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 keep up with it either. Like physically, you kind of saw it on the failed buckshot lariat when the knees gave yeah. the, the the injury after injury after injury. But to lose it like that. In a in that post scrum, which everyone loved in the media, oh, I, uh, but I thought it was I felt so uncomfortable. Yeah, I thought it that. was so bad for the business to just bury everyone and right and, next to Tony too. While, and and Tony didn't do anything. And while he's saying he didn't like people going into business for themselves, the philosophy had to be <laughs> in his head. Well, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it. Right? Yeah. Like with with Barry Bonds and the steroids. Like, well, if Mark McGuire and, and Sammy Sosa are going to do it, and I'm already better than them. I'll do it and become the greatest baseball player ever. Yeah, yeah. So once you do that, there's no going back. And I don't, I mean, you heard the chance during the Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks trios match where they were saying, you know, F U C M Punk. Like the fans weren't having it. Whether they're right in that opinion or not, it's their opinion because they're the viewers of art. So it can't be incorrect if that's yeah. how they feel. Again, it's not three plus three, which we agree is still six. I believe so. So, you know, you gotta, you either evolve. This is something CM Punk said when he was in WWE. You either evolve or you die. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of it, what about a millennial like someone like Logan Paul and what he's doing in WWE? Look, I I get why they're doing it. I wasn't a big fan of it. I didn't. I will say this. He did his thing. Like the dude can wrestle. Damn right. And he's done, I think, three matches three now. Matches. And... I finally watched The Crown Jewel. I was so proud of the fact that I didn't watch it because I hate The Crown Jewel. It's just the goofiest. It feels like it doesn't ever. exist within the WWE. Remember when Marvel Comics used to do like the alternative universe? That's what this exactly what this feels like. I didn't like those comics either. Yeah. All right. I was more a Chris Claremont guy. Um, what a great reference. Which is old school. Look up Chris Claremont. Man, his X Men was just the damn best, the bestest. Um, so, yeah. So I'm. It's, it's a tricky thing. I get why they did it, right? I get why they brought Mr. T to WrestleMania 2, I think it was. Um, but like Dr. D, I'm not a fan of it. Like, I, I would rather see wrestlers wrestle. I didn't like that he videoed himself doing a frog splash. How serious are you? And this is the old school mentality. But it's the ultimate heel move. I'm so good but at it. How serious are you about winning the WWE Championship if you're going to hold a phone 
and video yourself doing a frog splash. It should be singular. Again, this is an old school mentality and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it's mine. How serious are you about winning if you don't have a singular focus on well, winning? This is just like Hulk Hogan flexing. Like it's just, uh, you know, you're so but confident. But it's not. The, the flex was to power him up and, you know, like show you how into it he is. Or, Whereas this is like, I'm going to bring everyone in to my social media page and get even more followers. I feel like it's the, while I do this. I feel like it's the modern version of Eddie doing this. Like you're just, I'm so good. I completely, otherwise people still wouldn't do what Eddie does. And everyone does mm. from Sasha Banks to Ray Ray to now Dominic. You know what I mean? If, if that form of expression was dead, why is it still done? So to me, and we can go back and forth. Like I said, this, I is, this is the old man argument, right? Like get off my lawn with your stupid cell phones. But it's my argument to, to make. So I, I didn't like that. And it was the first time I didn't like him in a WWE match. Mm. And I was skeptical about Bad Bunny coming in. And I was like, well, Bad Bunny worked hard. You could tell Crushed he worked it. hard. When, uh, what was the guy that played the, the Green Arrow? Um, Stephen Amell. Stephen Amell, when he did that bit with Stardust. I was yeah. like, this son of a bitch put in the work. Like, and then he had a match at that. All In against Christopher Daniels. This was before I started watching AEW, but I heard about that. Well, that was before AEW existed. Oh, is it, it was All still in. before they got the, yeah, yeah, that was when they just were doing like the, the Sacramento pay-per-views without the TV deal and this all This was right? when they were like, you could never sell out a, uh, an arena. Yeah, pre-Tony Khan. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like September of the previous year. Yes. People forget that he had a match there. So I, well, I didn't even yeah. know. It's it really good. But, uh, but yeah, man, so when I see people put in the work, I always respect it, right? That was just one thing that took me out mm. of the match where mm. I'm just like, Okay, well, you got more followers, but you should have been focused on your. He has opponent. a great podcast, by the way. You should be a guest on it. Impulsive. I'm, I don't know about it, but I don't know about anything outside. Like you'd also be a great bubble. Joe Rogan guest. You would because you just like me because I tell good stories. So you think that's I'd be why a good everybody guest likes on you? Yeah, but I don't do too many of these, man. And besides, I think I'd have to go somewhere to do both of those. Well, and I, Lo I bitched Logan. about having to drive 30 minutes just to come here. I'm lazy, Sorry. dude. Sorry. No, I got love for you, man. But I don't. <laughs> I, I don't love for you. I don't do too much of this. Logan, I think, records in and around the valley or something. I thought he lived in Puerto Rico or something. No. I, I think he has a house there, but I think oh. he also has a place here. But well, that's where he files taxes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk forever. Like, seriously, we could do Is this in four hours. I believe it's, uh, I got to get you out of here. But I have one final question that I ask everybody. Because I'm all about gratitude, and I have an immense amount of gratitude for you making the drive here, spending this <laughs> time with us, so thank drive. you. I'm just soft. <laughs> I wake up every day, I say out loud three things that I'm grateful for, and I do it before going to bed, too. What are three things in your life, FPJ, oh, that's, that you're grateful for? That's pretty easy. I mean, I know atheism is the way to go these days, but I still believe in a higher power, and I'm still, still grateful. I know tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. Um, I lost a lot of people in my life this year that were the men who helped make me. Um, so I'm grateful for the lessons they taught me. I miss them every damn day. So I try to every morning wake up and be grateful that, you know, God's just given me another day on this rock, no matter how much I like it or hate it. <laughs> it's, it's a blessing to be here. I'm grateful that I have a family that's healthy and happy. And, uh, 
just recently I've been really trying to be grateful for every opportunity that comes my way, even if it's opportunities that I'm not interested in. I've been very actively grateful for, for those types of things, but it's, you know, it's the world's such a different place and I've never felt like a part of it. I've always kind of felt like an outsider looking in and that's gotten more and more. So as I, as I, as I get older, um, I feel like I have less in common with, with most people out there. I feel like a lot of the stuff I say sounds like Greek to some people or, mm. or bullshit to some people. I've heard people say things on like my Instagram and stuff like that. We're like, ah, oh, it's a bunch of bullshit. I'm like, man, I walk it just as much as I talk it, like if not more. And it's just about accountability, honesty, and self-discipline. You know, mm. I, I, everybody is so quick to jump on a headline and, and, and to jump on like a singular sentence or to, or to love over love, like hero worship or hate someone, you know, like polarizing people like Jordan Peterson, guys like that. Like he has things that he says that I don't agree with. And he, and he has things that he, that he says where I'm like, yeah, I see, I see where you're coming from. And I'm not trying to compare myself to him. I'm saying I get why people either completely commit to those Instagram videos or completely reject everything in there. I'm here to tell both y'all, you're both wrong. What you have to watch the whole thing. You have to see everything people do in their full and total context. You'll release clips for this maybe, right? Yeah. That clip is going to be completely out of context and someone's going to go, "Wow, Freddie's the the greatest guy." I'm not. I'm just a guy. Like I screw up all the time. I'm going to say stuff that pisses you off. I'm going to say stuff that you love, but that's still just who I am. And I don't say any of it with malice. So if you want to get mad, it's like stand-up comedians, right? Yeah. Jeff Dye said it best. I'm sorry you didn't like the way I tried to make you happy. <laughs> like stand-up comics are having to apologize for everything. And it's like, oh, this is so controversial. It's like, no, in the comedy club, everyone laughed. It's just someone saw a clip and wrote something crazy about it. Yeah. And you're seeing a clip and you're going, oh, they should never be allowed to perform again. Comics deserve more latitude than me. They deserve more latitude than you. Yeah. Comics have always been the ones that, that help push society forward and not hold it back. Go watch George Carlin. Go watch everything that dude said. And everyone got mad at him. And guess what happened? The son of a bitch was a fortune teller. Everything that he said was going to happen, happened. Yeah. It all happened. People thought my Uncle Jimmy, who was a Vietnam vet, was crazy. Everything that dude told me came true you know what i mean and he said extreme stuff that was very polarizing so you have to see things in their full and total context and i know we're used to being able to put our button on a cursor and fast forward the boring stuff but that's the problem you, you have to see everything in its entirety so i hope people watch the whole interview unless you get bored and you hate no it, watch on, the whole thing put on something else you know but don't just take we're already at the end. They have watched the whole thing. <laughs> Thank but, you. But don't just take, you know, these, these headlines and allow those things to shape your personality because you'll become an incomplete human. And we need more complete humans on this planet. We have enough incomplete ones that don't have the full story on both sides of every issue. Yes. Whether you're a Democrat or Republican or you're pro this or anti this, there's enough of you incomplete weirdos out there. Like, you need to have the whole story. And if you still disagree, right on. But your, your opinion is as important as the person that you hate or love. It means about this much. 
same that's what, how much my opinion is 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 worthy of i didn't go to college you don't see me speaking about politics because i'm not educated on politics you don't see me speaking about science because i'm not educated on science i'll talk to you about art and my philosophies on social media those are two things that i have a hell of an education on because i have a lot of experience in that and yeah. doing that and speaking on that so if, if you take anything away from this outside of the funny stories and and me making you laugh or cry or whatever just take take that and make that priority one if you can and if you can't right on <laughs> I, I can't dictate morality you know what i mean i'm just trying to trying to help people out man i couldn't think of a better way to end this right on dude so dude thank you so much no nah, it's my congrats smart on everything. you know i got love for you but i'll text you on saturday either it's a boy or it's a girl <laughs> do it blue or pink that's <laughs> all you gotta yeah, do right said. don't don't do any of those crazy flammable ones though and burn your home down. not in california no yeah, exactly yeah. just do a balloon or something okay more. all right dude is just the best i love that guy oh and by the way by the way it's a girl yeah we had a we had the gender reveal party on saturday and my fiance rachel and i are having a little baby girl i actually i did i texted him like as soon as we found out i said it's a it's a girl with a little pink heart and he was like that's awesome so i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please share this with a friend take a screenshot and tag us both so we can reshare it Freddie is at Real Freddie Prince. I'm at Chris Van Vliet, and man, what a mind he has for the business. And I, I said at the start, what an amazing storyteller. I'll leave you with, I guess it's not really a quote, but I saw this like on a sign this past weekend and I loved it so much. Not a paraphrase, but this is basically what it said. When you say that something sucks, it's funny how that's exactly what it starts to do. Think about that in your life all the time. Oh man, this sucks. Today sucks. My car sucks. This relationship sucks. It's funny that when you start to frame it that way, it starts to actually be that way. Words matter. That's basically what that's saying. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Be great. Be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.